Mark introduces us to Jesus with two events that follow one right after the other. When we first encounter Jesus in Mark, he's made his way to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, and then immediately following his baptism, Mark tells us that the Holy Spirit of God drove Jesus out into the wilderness, where he remained for forty days, being tempted by Satan, with the wild animals, and ministered to by angels. Most scholars seem to agree that Mark was written to a primarily non-Jewish audience. But Jesus himself was Jewish, as were the twelve apostles, as were his earliest followers, and as were the earliest converts to Christianity. But the mission to bring the good news of Jesus to non-Jewish people was so successful that in many places Gentile Christians far outnumbered Christians of Jewish ethnicity, and this seems to have been the case for Mark's audience. So Mark had to be very careful how he introduced Jesus to his readers. He's choosing the scenes and his language very carefully. And fundamentally, the question Mark has attempted to answer is this, at least at the beginning of the Gospel, and it's the question, who is Jesus? In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, he gives us a broad outline of who he believed Jesus to be as a way of introduction. And Mark has begun to respond to that question by suggesting that Jesus is Israel, humanity, and new creation. We talked about Jesus as Israel and humanity in the last discussion. Today we're going to focus on Jesus as new creation. If you have access to a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the New Testament Gospel according to Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. I'm reading from the New International Version. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. As I said in the first part of this message, we discussed the first two of Mark's identifications of Jesus, namely Jesus as Israel and Jesus as humanity. But there is a third identification of Jesus in this passage, and this third identification is really the heart of our discussion today. It's this. Jesus' new creation. Look back with me again at Mark chapter 1. I'm looking particularly now at verses 9 through 11. And again, this is the New International Version. I'm going to correct a little bit of this translation in a moment. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So zooming in on verse 10, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now that would be a good translation of this scene in the other Gospels. That's the exact language used of Matthew and Luke. It would even fit well in John. But it's a poor translation of Mark, because what the Greek actually says here is that the Spirit descended into him like a dove. For Mark, the Spirit flew out of the tear in the heavens and descended into Jesus. 
Now, it makes sense that Matthew and Luke would move away from that language, choosing instead to use the preposition on. Matthew and Luke record Jesus' birth, and in both of those stories, we learn that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Neither author may have wanted it to sound like Jesus only received the Holy Spirit at his baptism, and I don't think that's what Mark is saying either. They're describing the same event, but it's how they describe it that's interesting. So why did Mark describe the descent of the Spirit as coming into Jesus when we know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is God in the flesh? Well, to address that, we need to recall that when the prophetic tradition of Israel described the original creation of humanity in Genesis chapter 2, they described humanity as afar, is the Hebrew word. It's like a pulverized kind of dust that's easily caught by the wind. Just dead, lifeless, inert material into which God breathed the breath of life. More graphically, Genesis tells us that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a nephesh in Hebrew, a living being. Now, God only breathed this breath of life into humanity once in Genesis. It's only said specifically once. When God created a woman, he took a piece from the side of the man. He, he divided the original human into two, male and female. But Genesis never speaks of God as breathing in the breath of life again. In Genesis, the woman simply shares the original breath of life that God breathed into the first human. You might say, they shared it. And we might even say that we still share it to this day. The First Testament doesn't ever explicitly say that God breathes again. Even when a child is consumed is conceived in a mother's womb. It was, we have a psalm that says that God, David says, God knit me together in my mother's womb. But the first testament never describes God as breathing life into the child. The way that the history has been recorded for us is that God breathed once, and all of humanity shares that breath of God, that God breathed into the first human. At Jesus' baptism, something unique then is happening. The Spirit of God descended into Jesus. Why would Mark have put it that way? I suspect Mark's language has been intended to teach us that Jesus is the new Adam of the new creation. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Corinth, and he may have written this before Mark was actually penned. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And that last Adam he's referring to is Jesus in the context. For the first time since the original creation, God breathed life into a human. In rebelling against God in the Garden of Eden, humanity had begun to move away from God and back to what we were before God's creative activity. Before God created, we were nothing lifeless, inert, dead. In short, we didn't exist. We only live because God breathed into humanity the breath of life. But something happened to the breath God breathed into us when Adam and Eve chose to disregard God's guidance and to live by their own sense of direction. As a consequence of our rebellion, the human spirit has become unclean and has begun to wane. And the further we walk away from God, the more we wither and succumb to corruption. Physical corruption, spiritual corruption, emotional corruption. In brief, we are dying. And so for Christians, 
cancers, violence, hate, self-centeredness, disordered passions, rage, aging, disease, and all other manner of corruptions are symptoms of this deterioration of the human spirit. But at Jesus' baptism, God breathed again a new spirit into Jesus. And if Jesus is Israel and Jesus is humanity, then the implication is that what happened to Jesus is what God intends for all of those who follow him. So there is hope for humanity in Jesus. We can be healed and made whole again. And that's wonderful news. But there's more to say. This time, unlike the breath God breathed into into humanity in Genesis, in Jesus, it was the Spirit of God himself that God breathed out of the tear in the heavens which entered into Jesus. I think for Mark, this is a graphic way of telling us that Jesus is a new creation. He's the prototype of a new humanity. Jesus doesn't just represent Israel and non-Jewish people before God. He's not simply our representative, though he is our representative. Jesus will be a picture for all of us of a new way of thinking and living and walking. In short, a new humanity. In Jesus, we'll catch a glimpse of the kind of human God is endeavoring to create. And so, as we read the Gospels, we must watch Jesus closely because Jesus will be a picture for us, in our context in Mark, of a human who has been filled not simply with a human spirit, but with the very Holy Spirit of God. God doesn't just intend to heal humanity or repair our broken spirits. God intends to unite humanity to himself by the infilling of his own Holy Spirit. And as Jesus represents us in many many ways in the gospel, of course it happens to Jesus first what is going to happen to us. Where he leads, we follow. Now we all have our stories of the corruption of this place. Some of us have endured abuse, others debilitating illnesses, others emotional turmoil, others psychological disorders and diseases, others chronic pain, others painful losses, others of us have been enslaved to destructive behaviors, both because of what has been done to us and because of what we have done, and we could go on and on. Our very spirits have wounds, some of them deep, and some of them so powerful and pervasive that we can hardly imagine who we are without them. And as smart as we are, as advanced as our technology, as much joy and love as we are capable of giving and receiving, something is broken in humanity. And we don't need to be told this is true. We we know this is true. And for those of us who recognize that, that, part of the good news of Jesus is that we're not crazy. Something is wrong. Something is broken in us. And Jesus reveals to us God's plan to make us whole again. God's not simply going to repair our human spirits. He's going to replace them. And he's not simply going to replace them with an improved version. God's intention is to fill us with his own Holy Spirit, which is why Mark says it the way that he does, that the Holy Spirit entered into Jesus. God is going to heal humanity by bringing us into intimate fellowship with God himself. Well, do we have a part to play? Is there anything we can do? Well, this is the work of God, but we do need to follow Jesus. Jesus is the way to God's new creation. And we have to also recognize that our healing will not necessarily be quick, nor will it necessarily be easy. 
The first thing the Holy Spirit did with Jesus was to drive him out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And eventually the Holy Spirit would lead Jesus to lay down his life for us. But if we follow Jesus, however long it may take, our healing will be inevitable. We will be healed. Jesus is Israel, and Jesus is humanity, and Jesus is new creation. And because God truly raised him from the dead, you and I are not without hope. You and I are not permanently damaged. You and I can and will be made whole. The Holy Spirit came into Jesus, and he will come into you and to me if we follow him. The journey toward that wholeness begins by following Jesus. May it be so.